This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got everything from comic books to signed sports memorabilia, signed wrestling memorabilia. Anything you need or want, they have it. They update daily, and even better, they ship worldwide. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Super Mario Brothers 3, GoldenEye 007, Metal Gear Solid, and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, visit LegacySubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep aid to muscle building. Anything you need or want that makes you look great, that makes you feel great, they got it. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition at LegacySubs.com. And lastly, if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts, travel mugs, phone cases, anything you need or want. It is there. But the easiest thing, the most important thing, the freest thing you can do to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest has been featured and seen on the CBC, Kevin Hart's LOL Network, Hulu, NBC, Just for Laughs, and Netflix, just to name a few. His comedy album, Good Friend, Bad Grammar, won the 2019 Juno for Comedy Album of the Year. One of the most original stand-up comedians out there today, Dave Merhej. Oh, thank you for thank you for that kind, wonderful intro. And no, thank, thank you for thank being you for, here. Oh my God, this oh, is thank you. this is honestly an honor and a pleasure. Obviously, if you are a Canadian and you know anything about comedy, we all heard of you. We've seen you on our TVs. We've heard your albums. Again, like I said, I ran off so much shit there. But before we get any into anything and everything, how does someone from Windsor become one of the best Canadian stand-up comedians? Like, how does that even happen? <laughs> I think Windsor, Windsor probably gets a bad rap. Right? So I think it, is, <laughs> it is a, a feat, I guess, to come out of Windsor. Um, and I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's a border town. And I, I, there's a lot of characters, I would say. And I think, you know, my family uh, personally is like very, very funny. I mean, naturally, oh, I believe. Like, well, okay. yeah, yeah. They're very like. My mom tells stories. My dad is very, very like. You know, like unique in his own way. He's really himself. Right. Um, an oddball, but he's charming. He's like really, really funny. I mean, that uh, like when he's not even trying to be. And I, you know, I think my little brother Joe could have been a stand-up comic if he if he wanted oh. to be. He's like super, super. He makes me laugh a lot. Probably, <laughs> probably the most out of a lot of people i know even more than comics that i know but i just he, he never wanted to he didn't that wasn't like his his thing to do or his dream so i i don't know i you know and i even my extended family 
I find is funny. So I just grew up in a, in a you know, a funny house, funny household. Like humor for us is, is super key. Oh, that that is important because again, yeah. you you know, having immigrant parents, it's like, and especially in the Portuguese and European culture, most yeah. parents aren't funny. Like, you know what I mean? If like, and they don't support the arts, they don't support entertainment, no. like, you know, all that stuff. So how was your parents growing up wanting to get into comedy? And when did you want to start getting into comedy? I mean, my parents, I got, I've been super, super blessed. My parents were not against it. Oh, that's my awesome. dad. You know what I mean? Comes to, they all come to all the shows. If I go do a show in Windsor, they're 98% of the time. They're all there. Oh, nice. Like I, you know, sometimes, you know, one might not come to the show, but I mean, they're there. My mom was just really adamant about like getting an education in college, getting a college um, or university degree. I went to college, went to St. Clair College and graduated. So go. she's like, if you do that for me, she's like, you can pursue your dream, but I, if you can get an education, which I did. Um, yeah, to them, it's not like a big deal. Not in a sense that they're not proud. They're just like, oh yeah, he, he wanted to do this and we support it. So it was like, and since I was... I think I was 14 years old. I told my best friend at the time I wanted to do entertainment or stand-up. My uncle would show me, my uncle Brian would show me and my sister and my cousin, like, you know, mm. Richard Pryor. Oh, awesome. Like Eddie Murphy, Andrew oh. Dice Clay, right. um, Carlin. Um, like, I think it's on VHS. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So that's how, how I kind of, and then I just kind of fell in love with Richard Pryor's comedy. And so that was my main, main, main inspiration. To, to really do it oh that's awesome to hear so when did you actually leave Windsor and is there anything you miss about Windsor my family 100% well of course I, yeah yeah um, I mean I miss like you know a lot of uh, again it gets like a really bad rap but like a lot of the the things like I grew up there I left like maybe I think I left at 24 okay I think it was like in the you know I'm 42 now right so I left 20 like right after a year after college, I graduated okay. I took school for four years and I worked a year and then I left to Toronto. So I think they, yeah, I miss a lot. I miss the, the, the pizza there, the, the shawarma there, oh. just like the community there, you know, a lot of, you know, that, that I grew up there. So it's like, I like my cousins, my friends. Um, yeah, I, I think it just gets a bad rap as a city and, you know. Just the familiarity to me there is like, you know, at one point Toronto became more, I guess, a home because I lived there. I lived in Toronto, for, I think, 14 plus years. Wow. And plus you're out all year, so they stick more, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how was, again, you said a border town. Is there many a nights where you would venture off into Detroit? And is that what made some of Windsor appealing as well? Uh, it does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's really accessible. I mean, I grew up in an area where it was like maybe 15 minutes to get across the bridge oh, or you took the cool. tunnel. Yeah. So it's, and you were in downtown Detroit, so it's not far. Sometimes Americans think it's soup that don't live in Detroit. think it's super far. Really? So when you're like, yeah, you know how they are. They're just, <laughs> no, that's they're true. Like, they're not good with geography. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Oh, it's that close. You can cross. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I think, um, for me, I did like a lot of open mics there too. When I started for like oh. a whole year, so I was really in the scene. Like I wasn't getting paid. So I'd go over and, and run my, try to build my act so i it was uh, the the detroit michigan comedy scene was very important to me because a lot of my that's who i started with a lot of guys started well i started with a lot of people back there back then no of course and speaking of your act like obviously you won the juno award like were you there live to to receive it or is this one of the awards that is presented off here no this is but this is 2019 so it was before covid i was there it was in london ontario my dad got a chance to come down we uh there for three days and right yeah i was there to receive it which is very very special it was just very you know it's trippy it's like something that you grew up you know i didn't have the comedy category for like the longest time right and then i think when i came back ivan decker from vancouver wanted oh shit um um, so it was something that you knew me was attached to music so you'd be like a juno you'd be like this wild here so yeah it was very beautiful i again i it's like one of the just even for comedy and getting comedy to be more you know people to be more active and downloading and listening and watching no for sure so did you actually okay in all honesty did you think you were gonna win or you're like oh it's just good to be nominated um one it was it was great to be nominated but part you know look i think you can have a healthy ego well that's what of course yeah especially if you know your shit's good like come on you like yeah we work really hard macau studios um Macaw, sorry, Macaw Studios, um, 
they they produced the album for me. Uh, Morgan and Millen and everyone that worked. It, it was originally a video. It was a special. Oh, it's that's okay. on like you can get it on my website and it, and um, and Vimeo, right? Right. Sorry, Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. You can get it. So it didn't. We I wasn't even thinking about an audio to be honest with you. I think we were talking about it later, and then mm. that's when we submitted. It wasn't originally going to be an audio. It was, it was just a video. It was like I shot a comedy special at the Drake uh, in Toronto in 2016. Mm. So then we decided to do that. And it went from there. And of course, I think everybody, I mean, all probably people that submitted worked really hard. It's just we knew we had a dope ass product production wise, uh, not only content wise, right. just production wise. Even from the, the, the album cover was done by Bronze. Um, and it was, there was such um, thoughtfulness put into every inch of the whole thing. From like the intro to the album, we had multiple album covers. So I, I, I did, I, I obviously didn't think, uh, you know, my insecurities and my, that kind of creeped in. But I think right. uh, I would say maybe a couple of seconds before they announced that I knew I won. So, I just had this feeling that I won. So did everything validate in your head as soon as you heard your name? You're like, fucking right. Like, you know what I mean? Was that like your feeling or were you just, again, one yeah. of those stoic guys that another day at the office? No, I was, I was one grateful for it i remember ben Benner, you know he works at xm he was the one that introed it and we mm. hugged i think you know i think he cried before i cried oh, shit. but it was a, i was super because I, you know we all put in a lot of work but I, and i was very grateful but yeah when i won i was like yeah i should win because this is the, this this album is fire so there's no there's no way i you know what i mean you have to i think think you're the best no and yeah. the other thing about your album too, again, this is pre-pandemic. It still holds up, obviously. Like that's to me, like the yeah, yeah, clear sign of a good album because it's not like related to current events. Like current events are fun. I think for me personally, if I go to a live comedy show that's not being recorded, current events fantastic. But for like an yeah. album where you can revisit over and over, current events really don't hold up. And especially during pandemic, because like all these acts that have pandemic material, it's all going to fade out, and people are not going to want to hear that shit anymore, right? No, no. So it's like, so that's what I mean in a sense that we were, we really, you know, we just, the gave me such a range to do whatever I want. So that's where it all started. The video, and then the video kind of, you know, uh, it, 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 we had such, you know, fun building and creating that whole hour. No, and it shows because, uh, again, I only listened to, to the audio portion of it, obviously, but not the video, so I didn't see that, that production. But, again, you could tell by the audio if something's good, too. And just, like, everything, like you said, the I saw the cover album, fantastic yeah. work, my friend. The the hip-hop music at the intro, I've, everyone knows I'm into hip-hop, so that was a fantastic beat right off the bat, put you in the mood so you know what you're getting yourself into. And just the topics alone, like, you touched on everything, like I mentioned, hip-hop to family to drugs to sex to Jordans, like, fantastic shit, my friend. Kudos. Thank you. The rap beef bit, this I want to talk about, because like I said, love hip-hop myself. When you said the whole line, again, I don't want to get into so it doesn't ruin it for people who haven't listened, but for people who do know, we'll understand. The whole Tupac part with the engineer, I was dying, my friend. Like, oh my God, I never thought of that shit. Like, this is what I love about comedians like yourself that are so smart, that pull shit that are right there, that haven't been touched yet, and it's sort of like new material. Because people say you always take from here and there. But you could still make uh, like new shit, right? Yeah, and I, I remember li- like I'm, this was. I remember watching and like listening to radio shows and YouTube, like you right. know, podcasts about it was like about rap beefs and the difference between rap beefs now and to the rap beefs you know uh, back then. And I, and I, I started to think about because I love Tupac, so I started to think about Tupac and, right. and, and you know Seven Day Machiavelli the album and just all all the. And then when he would do disc records, I was like, holy shit, is it's like, because a lot of the disc records now are subliminal, so you don't really know who's talking to who, but if you're, right. if you're like a big fan of rap, you know, kind of like you put it together. So I think that's where that kind of came from, is like my, also my love for rap music. I wouldn't say, I don't, I know I'm not really knowledgeable, sorry, knowledgeable as much as uh, with hip hop people, because I love rap, they think I am, my friends, like, oh, you know it all, I go, no, uh, you know I, what? I love rap. I understand that point because it's the same thing with me. Like, I love it. Like, I I know, like, obviously, the greats and everything. But if you go into, like, deep, deep shit into every yeah, person, I, I can't go into those conversations. But I no. can give you a top, like, 10 of every era of why do I think this person's good. Yeah. I could tell you who, like, the, the guys who produce it are. And, like, again, this is when I was growing up in the 90s and 2000s, obviously. Nowadays, yeah. I can't tell you shit. But 
It's it's like no, I totally get that aspect. It's so true, and but that goes for almost everything. If you say something, you're like, oh, I watch football. Oh, then they go into these stats, and then I'm like, no, yeah, buddy, yeah, no. I'm, I'm not a coach. I just watch it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't really know much about tribe and and all of it, you know like. Sure. I mean, those are like real hip hop heads. So right, that's, right. That's I always try to make it clear. No, and and that's a good point too. So, what are some of your favorites of all time then, or some of that you always go back to and listen to all the time? I always go back to Tupac. I think a okay. lot because I think it's I think he is so versatile, and there's like so like you know from Dear Mama to Hit Him Up, like know, you know, great uh, to Crazy to to Live and Die in L.A. Mm. Um, uh, I get around. There's like so much, man, and you know, and then his acting is just so much of a package. That's true, and, true. And, and Biggie as well. Biggie's like lyricism was just fucking nuts, and he's voice cadence. I loved his cadence. Yep. Yeah. Um, with you know the locks, I was just listening to DMX. Oh the, yeah, the, the intro off the first album is still mm. get you gone to what you gonna do when the you know like it right. was just the whole. The, the, the energy of that album was insane. I remember having the CD actually, the, the two CDs that came out in one year, and I just remember I just revisiting. I revisited some G Unit stuff, so it's oh, like that's my that shit. Is, uh, you know, no, I totally and, get course, it. See, when when I rag on today's music, it's not because of the quality of the music. So when people are like, "Oh, you're just like old and you don't get it," it's like, no, 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 I understand it. It's not to my liking, but that's fine. Everyone likes their own shit. But yeah. when I complain about today's hip hop, it's like how you mentioned. We used to have intros. We used to have skits. Like you said, it puts you in the mood. It was like an event to listen to an album. Nowadays, maybe because everything's so easy and you could just stream at your fingertips. But I don't know. Like, like that's what is missing, I think, in today's hip hop. Honestly, you you know you have you have artists, obviously, too, like J Cole, Kendrick. Sure, uh, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, even uh, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Absol just came out with something. It was very. I felt it was. It, it was it was such substance, you know. So there, it is there. But I get what you're saying. You got, I think back then you also had to be. Everyone was everyone was so hella unique. You had like Busta right? Rhymes to Mob oh, Deep. Another like one. It was like things. you know, Big Pun. You had all this like yep. unique. I think people came in wanting to be uh, uh, more unique than the next person. To Little Kim, just Foxy Brown. Everyone was just Jay Z, Nas. Everything was, right? everyone was completely, completely different. And then you also had like the sub, like the subgroups, like everyone would roll with like their own clique. Yeah, had the Rock Kelly, yeah. had the G Unit, like Rough Riders, yeah. like everything. And everyone under like the main guy were all good too. So you were all getting all those albums, and then yeah. the crisscrossing. It was like, oh, like I don't know. It just felt like it was its own like Marvel universe, so to speak. Yeah, it's like I don't. I, I do that too. Sometimes I rag on new, but I love the new shit, like like Drake and everything else. Uh, okay, that come, and it's uh, in a sense that. I just think, I mean, for me, I was like, yeah, I was like, this is, I was like maybe 15, 16, when all that, or maybe even 20, so it was at my, I'm just so glad I got to experience that era. Right. You know, and this era, like, I was just like, you know what I mean? So it's not even like a really, like, what's better or complaining, it's like, oh, I got to experience both. It's like, even with comedy, you True. get to experience both era, we got, I got to experience stand-up without social media ah that's true what a difference so it was just a you know a much different time i think uh, um you know but i mean again it's like it happens with technology will do that too i even think that i feel that with stand-up comedy now with tiktok it got less unique mm. it got less like is it it feels like it's more about an algorithm now than about right. like you know because it's like well what can get me popping on tiktok and then you go on tiktok and there's like 17 comedians t- doing crowd work well like, there's a no there's no like it just feels like there is no like but i mean you could say that about rap you can say about r&b because like you know again back then in stand-up you had carlin's prior and mike epps you had all these like you know like, i think it was more about skill than it was following because that's i think what it is nowadays it's like uh i list talk tons of podcasts with comedians on and they always say no no they haven't booked a comedian they booked an influencer yeah, that's fine. They're going to bring them into the club, but yeah, yeah. what's going to make them stay there afterwards? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they're all those and people think, are going to fizzle out eventually. Like, and yeah, and I no, it's like I think also too, it's not just our fault or the consumer's fault. Oh no, it's like of course not. The, the, the industry's fault too, because they'll tell you to like how many followers you have. So then, an entertainer, right? or a comedian is going to be like, "Well, why am I? I just need to get followers." No. You know, I, I mean, it's again by growing up in both eras. I, I'm like, I, they didn't say that to us back then. There was no right. social media. 
So then you just kind of were just building your act and building your voice and then going from there. That, that was your starting point. Yeah. As opposed to now maybe your starting point is like, I need to get a bunch of followers. Well, that's what it is because no one takes you seriously, even if you have killer shit. Like, you know, if like who's going to book, yeah. and I hate to say it because it even happens in my instances sometimes, even with podcasts when I'm trying to reach out to guests and stuff. It's like, why would they do something that's really good that only has 100 followers when they could do something shitty that has 5,000 and get more revenue stream off yeah. that, right? And, no, and I know that's yeah. Crazy. That's uh, we talk about that a lot with the algorithm and stuff like that. I know it's like uh, one comedian I love. His name's Adam Hunter. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's based out of L.A. Yeah, I know Adam. Okay, yeah, he's he's been on the show a couple of times. We're good friends and all. And he like this week I was listening to his podcast and he said something like, "I've been doing this for years and years, crafting. I've been on Leno. I've done this. I've done that. I have like I'm in the multi thousands of followers." And he's like, "I finally went viral with something with that had like over millions and billions of like." impressions and stuff it was because he posted something about a fighter that had a tattoo that said i eat ass and that's what made him blow up instead of like his actual comedy yeah. it's like what the fuck like seriously yeah. this is the world we live in now <laughs> that's what i mean where you don't really like you know you don't really know and it's i think it's more you got to preserve your sanity through it all like that's that's uh, that's that's what i try to do more so because i watch friends go through it you know, you watch oh. friends chase those videos and, True, and right? what it does to their mentality. It's very unhealthy, and it just it's sad. It's saddening. It's saddening because it really takes a toll on your on your your mental illness. Of course, you know I mean when you really, when you really like, I need this. Like again, like uh, you know, you work so hard to craft your act, then you do a video that you don't really care about, and it right? blows up, <laughs> and now you're like, fuck. Like, you start questioning everything. It's true. Like it does make you go a little bit yeah, insane if you think about video it. That's word like that because you can't. I don't think you can make. You don't know. You know. It's just like it's, true. it's such a. I don't know. I. I um. I, I'm, I mean, for me personally, I always just wanted to end up acting as well. Oh, ah, okay. It. So I, it's, it's you know that helps me kind of in my own head stay stay mentally not fucked up because i'm like right. i have this goal of like i just want to be on tv and acting and movies and stuff like that that's like um i find sanity there no that's good for, and we are going to get into the acting stuff for sure because one of my favorite canadian producers of all time is mr d and you had a reoccurring role there but before we get to that let's hop back to the album quickly now one thing i love again comedians being smart and being quick on their toes when you're doing the recording and the glass fell and it was rolling Again, fantastic shit, leaving that in there just to see the authenticity of like what crowds and what comedians have to go through. Now, to piggyback off that, what's like some of the worst shit or some of the most annoying shit that a crowd audience could do while you're up there? I mean, the funny thing about that one, it was the wrong guy. I what? found out like a week later. It wasn't even that guy that kicked it. it was, oh, like, it was you roasted girl. the wrong guy. Oh, man. Yeah, and it was a friend of mine's <laughs> friend's boyfriend, maybe. We, I saw them at the comedy bar in Toronto a week later. Maybe right. They told me. But also, I try not to like like bully with crowd work and stuff like that. I try to oh, like create okay. stories. I don't want to. I don't want to do the traditional, like, where are you from? What do you do? What do you work? Like, you know what I mean? I eventually, I like to turn that into like a fake, almost imagined world that we're both living in. That's the crowd work that I like. Okay. And I think that, you know, and it, I mean, in that same special, the cameramen were arguing with each other. Really? Shit. Well, they were like whispering back and forth and okay. I kept it in. Right. I was like, they were like, do you want to take it out? I go, no, no, keep that in. And it, you can see it on the thing, on the video. I stop, I go, because oh, wow. people are turning around. I go, no, it's just two cameramen having a scuffle. That's what the thing was. So <laughs> if it works out and you can flip it into something, it's fine. But I mean, right. I, that's, but I mean, the bottle dropping is no one's real fault. The cameramen that's weren't true. like yelling or like trying to heckle me. I think they were trying to do something production wise. But I mean, if you're purposely yelling at me and calling me names and being a piece of shit, then I hate that stuff. But uh -huh. if it's like, if, if it's, I mean, you should always be respectful, I think, as an audience member, but there are circumstances where, yeah, I mean, you might say something because you're excited and we can go from there. Sure. But if it's like heckling, I, I, I hate that shit. How about like, because there was this one guy during the whole act, such a loud laugh that always stood that out. Warren. Well, I was just going to say, does that annoy you as well? No, no, I know that. I know that guy. He did, he did sketch. He was oh. like, I've known him. I've known him since okay. 2006. That's hilarious, seven. then. That was Warren, but Warren's laugh is known. 
in the comedy scene. Like, okay. like, oh, that's Warren. If you hear his laugh, you're like, that's Warren. So that was, that's all love. Oh my God. And now going back to your parents again, because you said they go out to your shows when you're in Windsor and stuff. How do they feel when you incorporate them into your act and you're like telling like these stories of having like an uncle who does heroin and shit? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, my mom a little bit was weirded out by okay. that. I ask a lot. If I think it's going to be offensive, I'll call them and ask them if it's all oh, right. Okay, so you went uh, Yeah, I did, a, I did a special last year or I came out last or last summer, I think, on okay. Crave called I Love You Habibi and they're in it. My oh. family's... It cuts to them, you know, commenting nice. on me or the joke. So they're very like open in that in that aspect. They're very like they're very loving and, and they're very and you see it on that special if you watch it at the end they ask well, how do you guys feel with him putting uh, you in and my mom answers they're like this is his dream, you know, it, you know, oh, it's he awesome. wants to do it, we're there for it and it's all done in with love. Do you know what I mean? And of it's course. love and done with like honesty as much as I can and, and, and a certain type of empathy and vulnerability. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not shit, I'm just expressing what happened growing up with you know, uh, being at my grandmother's exactly. and my uncle, you know, having a drug issue. And it's done from that point of view as opposed to like taking anyone down. No, and I totally agree with you. And uh, again, if if you know it's out of love and it's happened, and obviously you might embellish here or you might add something here, whatever, to tie it all together. But it's like, why should the people get offended? Because like it's coming from, and you have all these people laughing and it's not like they're judging or whatever, right? And it's part of the show. Because for me, like I'm the same thing. I have tons of stories. But I know my family would fucking tear me a new asshole if I said anything on air about anything. So, but it's like, but it's coming out of love because I want to express it and make it seem like, oh, it was a joke, like, ha 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 type of thing. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I don't know, you gotta, you know, again, I've just been lucky with them being so cool about it. Like, I I really, you know, it's really, really, really really blessing that they've been really super, super cool with, with me doing, letting me have this much freedom. And, and express myself. How about stories about yourself that your parents never knew? Like like the one with the, the cat licking ecstasy and shit like that. Yeah, they're pretty... I mean, my mom... My, my dad doesn't care. Okay. <laughs> my dad gives a fuck. Um, but my mom is like, oh, Habibi, like, why? Like, you know, she's so sweet and innocent. Right. So she's like, oh, I didn't know you did that. You shouldn't do drugs. So it's not... They're never like... You know, they don't disown me, but yeah, there is sometimes when it comes to that, they're like, my mom's a little bit like, why would you do that? Drugs are bad kind of thing. Like, maybe it's because I'm not a parent, but I, oh, I think I'm not condoning this. I'm not saying everyone should do this, but you should do drugs at least once in your life as a teenager to have these sort of stories and experience when you're older. So then after you don't <laughs> become like addicted to it, because I, I think that if you experiment more when you're younger, you will, that addiction factor is not there as, as an adult. Yeah, I think I think what my mom is that she's like super against all that stuff. So it's like, but yeah, I've, I've done drugs, uh, gang of drugs when I was younger, and you know I don't really smoke weed anymore. Um, okay, I, I I only drink really, but I mean, yeah, I've never done cocaine, never done heroin. Those are things that um, you know, having an uncle that was doing that, that stuff, I was like, I saw how how dangerous it could be, mm. and I just never really found cocaine cool. I, I hated everybody that would do it. You know what? I'm the same way. And now it makes sense because the same thing. I, I have a family member that was was addicted to crack and stuff. And I never got into those. He- like the heaviest drug I've ever done was E when it first dropped because everyone was so into it. But yeah. I'm strictly pothead. That's all I've done. That's all I ever will do. Same thing with you. I look down at people who used to do coke and shit. Like I, maybe because yeah. I saw it firsthand and I lived with it. So it's like I don't want anyone to look at me the way I look at this person. You know what I mean? No, and it's also coke too. It's, it's not even a look down on it. It's just like, man, you do it. Like, I don't get it. It's like it gives you just more confidence. So, like, I never mm. had a great time with anyone that did coke. It was just like, oh, man, that's a good point not. too. So it's not like anything. Like, at least I can understand ecstasy because I've done it. You trip out. It's so like so loving. It's so great. right. Like, I never saw what ecstasy would possibly do to you. Like, I mean, sorry, not ecstasy. Sorry, cocaine. Like, cool. I, I didn't like. When you when I was around, it, I never thought it was like a fun ass time. Well, like, they were having fun. Well, the I, one I, thing I, that people always tell me who've done it is the one thing is is because you're still sort of in control, even though you're heightened, you can still do whatever you want to do. So that's I guess that's the appeal to it. And again, you just go to the washroom, do a bump up your nose, no one sees. It's not like you have to go outside and smoke or have a pipe or inject. Like you know, it's it's a very accessible drug. I think that's yeah. the, probably the appeal for it. Yeah. 
Like, you know, and plus, obviously, you see it in every movie. Like, Scarface, one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, you know what I mean? It's so cool to have your face in Coke and this and that. So, like, maybe it was all that stuff growing up because... I don't know. To me, it's true. Like, I don't know. I'll stick with my weed and I, I don't understand. Same thing. If, if you want to have more confidence and whatever, just, I don't know, drink a Red Bull or fucking like, you know what I mean? Like there's so many other ways. Why are you going to drop all this money? And, and the other thing too, again, maybe because we were taught in school because we grew up in a generation where drugs are bad for you and they showed you the videos. Like even, I'm sure you did the same thing with the cigarettes. They showed you the fucking lungs of a pig that looked all fucked up I and shit, right? So you were I kind of scared. <laughs> Yeah, they did a lot, a lot of scare tactics back then. And, and that was the thing. It's like, so maybe that's all incorporated. Into, but again, l- learning from the school thing, going back to that, when I learned and I heard and saw the video where Coke travels up your nasal pad. Okay, if anyone does Coke and you want to quit, listen to the story. It'll probably want to make you quit. So when you, in, when you snort Coke, it goes up your nasal cavity and sits on top of your brain and just starts to fizzle like a fucking egg. Oh. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, no, thank you. I'm yeah, good enough. Crazy. Right? Yeah, Think that about visual, that. That visual is terrifying. That's terrifying. Oh my! Well, another terrifying visual. You brought it up. People having their arms crossed. Now, the only reason why I bring this up is because I'm one of those guys. Like, quick story right off the bat. I went to a, speaking of hip-hop, I was at a Cardinal official concert once. And I had, like, close to front row seats. And there was an opening act. I, again, I don't remember. I forget. It's not because they weren't good. Who knows? Maybe an up-and-comer. But I was sitting there because it was one of those seated areas. And I was just sitting. I was like, okay, whatever, with my arms crossed. But not because I was bored. That's just my demeanor. Yeah. He actually fucking called me out in between his songs and, like, put I was like, are you not having a good time? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. no. I was like, no, no. I felt so horrible. So when you brought that up, I was like, now I understand why it looks like you're not you know (laughs) it looks like you know part of it too it it is also like a tool for me to like get in with the crowd too like i'm not i don't i don't i don't honestly think i mean sometimes it does look like the person's not having right i get it now yeah there's a lot of times where there's just at someone's posture but in the end it's like you know i play with the tool of it i play with the idea of it so it's not all like I don't. I'm not personally so offended by it. It's like funny to me. You look silly to me in my head. I go, "What are you doing?" So it's like playful. In the end. Oh my god! Yeah, no. Again, people have to go listen to this album. It's fantastic. Very deservingly winning of the Juno Award. Now I understand why it won. Obviously, and like I said, still holds up. And if you've listened to it before, go back and give the man another hit because it's all about yeah. the streams, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now speaking of, you now just recently, as of this recording, you dropped another EP, Miseducation of a Fuckboy. Now, the name alone, this is what I mean <laughs> with having to deal with parents and family members. Did you really want your family to know you were an actual fuckboy? <laughs> um, no, no, originally the album was called, originally I was, I was, I think I was, I, rec- I was doing some sets in the summer. I can't remember when it was. Like, what year? I know, it was like two years ago, maybe. I was okay. at the Corner Comedy Club downtown. So I was on Queen Street in Toronto. Okay. I'm sitting at a bench with a Tim Horns, but it was like around COVID, so my mask was on. Sure. And I, my boy was coming to the show, my boy Don. So Don, I didn't know, saw me, and I didn't see him. And he was across the street and took okay. a picture right. of me on that. That picture is an actual picture that oh, Don took. Okay. So then he showed me I was dying. I was like, how, how <laughs> lonely is that? Right? <laughs> was there and um so then we record i had this idea to record an ep i wanted to put something out but like in um, like an extended play nothing like it. Sure. so it's different from good friend because good friend was longer and it was yes. a video like originally started off as a special okay. this was more like let's do an ep right i had some material i wanted to talk about about like past relationships uh, in right. my in, in coming up through like within time right I, during a time where i wasn't as grown in my head with relationships and it was originally called I Love Her. Oh. It wasn't called that. It was I Love Her in a sense of like it was about there was a relationship I was in like with somebody on and off maybe for like five years. It was really about and it didn't really work out. And it was about that. There was one joke about that person. But the whole thing was like, mm. you know, the idea of like you love someone, but you can't be with them. They fundamentally right. do not work as much as so. And then I'm. One day, I don't know, I was just thinking about it. I, I, I don't know, maybe Lauren Hill's Miseducation of Lauren Hill was popped Play, in my right? head. And I was like, what do we call Miseducation of a Fuckboy? And oh. because I had those tendencies, and it probably still have some of those tendencies. 
and then that all came together that way with the picture and everything. Sure. And yeah, that's uh, that. That's and my parents. I don't even know if they know what that means. <laughs> that's true too, right? Cause yeah, you... they don't. They don't know what that means. And I mean, my sister and my brother. My oh. brothers know I, I'm a fuckboy. <laughs> I can be a fuckboy, and probably so does my sister. And that's how that came about. Oh, that. So is, this is your first thirty-minute album then that you dropped. I think it's like about thirty minutes. We also put out the video too, which is on YouTube. Right. And they shot it so well. Again, it was with Macaw Studios, Morgan mm-hmm. and Millen. It was shot so well. Like I think it, it, it just the way they did it. I didn't know how they were. They didn't really discuss. I didn't know how it turned out. We're right. very very happy how it turned out. No, this one I saw the video and yeah, it was. It's like a nice intimate feel, black and white. So it was like. Yeah. And again, it didn't even feel like thirty minutes. I've said this before with other comedians. I think that's the perfect threshold nowadays. Is a good tight thirty minute special because yeah. you literally touched on like two or three subjects but your storytelling is so great that it didn't even feel like you were up there doing a set like it just felt like you were like on a podcast or just telling a story to some friends yeah yeah, that's why i mean that was the whole that was like you know not the goal but i mean i'm glad when it can turn out that way or turn out that way because it does it 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 makes the listening and viewing a lot easier i find so yeah we were super happy i think that was two winters ago oh shit it was recorded at the Corner Comedy Club again, downtown Toronto, uh-huh. um, and uh, yeah, I had such a fun time. Ali Ali Hassan, very funny comedian, was hosting the night, and we did three shows, and it was uh, it was such a such a what I, I I'm glad I got that material out because a lot of a lot of it was from back back in the day that I never really talked about. Now moving forward, do you think this is going to be your new format when you drop shit? Like short, sense? yeah, like short stuff. And so speaking of like social media and TikTok, right? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I want to do a special where, you know, um, I had gone to Lebanon for the first time in the summer. I've never been. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I had, we, cool. my buddy Paul is a very funny comic, Paul Elia. He, he, he got footage. Oh. So I'm thinking of maybe like, you know, you know, we got to go to my mom's village and got to see a guy, I met her cousin oh, and got there awesome. and got to see the house she grew up in and the mm. church she would go to. I FaceTimed them, my whole family, I oh. FaceTimed my grandmother, my uncle was on the phone. Right. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking about same thing. What I did with, I love you. Habibi was like mixing in other stuff with stand up. Ah, smart. That, that special is, is like all, not all stand up. It's interviews with my family. So it's, it broke it up. What was one of the biggest culture shocks when you got over there to Lebanon? Uh, I don't know. If there, I don't know. I mean, I just felt so like, I was like, oh, it's just, it felt so like, I know there's, there's a lot of problems there with the country of course, yeah. and stuff, but I just felt so, so in love oh, with, really? the, with, the, with, the, with the, with the people. Oh, that's awesome to hear. In, in the, in the city, in the country. You know what I mean? Again, I, 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 I don't. I never, I don't, I wasn't born there. I didn't live there, right. you know. So I know there, there are pains that people have there. I, you know, I, I, I probably, I don't know because I was born in Canada. But I mean, right. being there, I felt like such a, like a feeling I can't really um, explain. It's probably one of the greatest feelings I've ever felt as well. Like even comparing it to like chain, even probably more than chasing dreams and accomplishing dreams because it was just this overwhelming sensation of being in a country that your parents are from and never going and not being born there. It was just really great. It's it's funny how like the human body and how energy all works. Like you know how many stories of people are like that where they visited their home country that they've never been to and they just feel like they're like oh it's like as if I never left or if I lived here my yeah. whole life. Like it feels like home to them and like. I urge anyone who's never been to whatever your background is, that country, go visit. Like, even if you don't have current family there, even if you just go for like a week or something, just to feel and to see how, where you literally came from. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Especially being North American. Now, one thing is always going to Portugal too. I noticed the food difference much, so much better over there. Is it the same thing in Lebanon? Was like the food more fresh? Did it taste everything better? Right. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) My friend Natalie Akar, who's a comedian, uh, lives in New York, but is from Lebanon originally. Okay, she took us. She she was she was the main catalyst for me even being out there. She's like, you should come out, and she took me. Around. She took us all around and treated us and showed us her the country, in in her in her eyes, and it was great. Now, how how okay again, not knowing the political climate and everything over there, do they have a sort of a comedy scene, entertainment scene? Oh, over yeah. there? oh they still do. Okay, yeah, okay. We did. Um, Paul again. He does a show called Low Key, uh, Low Key Comedy, where it's like two hosts. It's usually me and him. But it was started. Matt Rife and him started it. Okay. Um, 
and you, 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 we go up and do a dual act. A comic comes on, does their set, and then we go back on and we all riff the three of us. And is so this we some, did that. Huh? You, you did it over there in Lebanon. Yeah, he Paul Paul and this wow, comp, this company awesome. called Awkward. They helped Paul bring it up, and we did one night, two shows, two hundred people per show. Oh, and shit. it was great. And we had we and it was a, there was local comics that were on the show, and it was amazing. They have a scene. So how is it translating the comedy from here to there? Is it a big difference or were you able to just do your first I mean, set? Me and Paul had to adjust from the first okay. to the second show. We, 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 we didn't learn. We had to learn quick because there's some things that didn't connect with. Also, oh. too, we did a mix of like some of the comics there did their sets in Arabic. Oh, shit. Okay. For the crowd. I mean, my friend That's Natalie cool. was telling me if you just do a show where it's full English, mm-hmm. it's that you won't get that like because some of the people might have come to see now they're, you know, you know what I'm saying? So Natalie gave us that advice after. But I mean, all overall, what a great experience to perform in, in Beirut and stuff. So. Oh, man, that's cool to hear. And again, yeah, everyone should go out and visit their so-called motherland and see what it's all about. How about any other else places in the world that is on your bucket list you want to travel or even perform in? Um, I want to go to France. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to Barcelona for the first time, but that's for it to see a con to see a concert. Okay. That's in June. Um, I've been to Australia. I enjoy performing in Australia. I want to go back to London, England, mm. and perform. So. Now, as you get older, is traveling becoming? Because you talk about being old in your act and stuff, which is fantastic. Because again, another thing I could relate to, my friend, and we'll get into that because it involves hip hop. But has traveling been like as you get older? Are you sick of traveling more? Do you want to just like be in a perfect world? Would you just be like sit sit in one city and be able to do everything you do in that city? Yeah, but I mean, I'll, I'll complain about traveling, and then like then I'll go do three months of traveling, and then I'll complain <laughs> while I'm traveling. So it's like I don't really know. I don't. I never. I haven't reached the point of like I don't want to do this yet. But there are complaints and there are excitements mixed in. But I'm not at the like I can't do this. Which I have some friends that are like I'm done. Well, speaking of done, again, being too old. When you brought up going to a rap concert, my friend, I was dying. Because same thing with me. Music's too loud. Why is there so many lights? Can we just tone this down yeah. a little? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't even mention going to a club nowadays. Yeah, fuck that. Like, I can't do any of this shit anymore. It's, 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 it's freaky. The Baby King, yeah, Baby Keem concert at Webster Hall in New York. It was a great concert, but I was like, I can't do this. I'm too tired. <laughs> and then lastly, for, from this album, too, because I don't want to ruin too much. That whole story about how you got robbed and shit. Again, crazy but fucking hilarious how you could turn something that could be so traumatic to other people, like literally being held at gunpoint into like your act. Fantastic, my friend. Cause again, it's crazy what some people go through in their lives and how you react as a human, instead of like cowering, you turn this into your act. Yeah. Like it's great. How actually, how old were you when all that went down? That was, I think maybe 26 or 27. Oh, I was, I moved to, to Toronto okay. and then I was living with a couple of people and the, one of the guys was a comic or is a comic, James Uloff. That was, um, and he was like, do you want to go to Australia or LA? He was thinking, we decided to go to LA. Right. You know, we were there for like, I mean, he stayed longer. I was there for like six months and it was one night where, you know, I, I was, I was seeing this girl. I was bummed out. I was walking with my head. I was just sad. And then, you know. That happened. It was tr- it was terrifying because I even thinking about it the next day. I was like, "Oh, the gun was right to my head, right, it's like right where my t- you know." So they could have pulled the trigger. And then I had a good support system there, friends that helped mm. me. And then I I remember even actually going on stage at an open mic in LA and saying it out loud, not really constructing it as a joke. And it felt so refreshing oh, to get nice. it off my chest. And then I think years later I formed it into a joke and it was like, uh, you know, as, as you know, but for the longest time I would, I had a hard time. Someone was walking behind me mm. on the street. Like I, I'd have to cross the street or something. So there was some stuff attached to it for many years after. And then it got to a point where, you know, now I could tell it as a joke and I can look at, at it that way and kind of be a little bit detached from, from feeling a certain way about it. No, yeah, it's like, oh, that was a wild experience. I'm glad right? I'm alive. Now I can just get laughs out of it. And that's fantastic because something similar happened to me, but I was like way young. I was like 12 or 13 and I was at the Eaton Center with, it was, I think it was myself and a couple of my friends. And then we just got cornered by like four guys. Obviously they were like in their twenties or thirties and they just, almost the same thing, but they didn't pull out a gun. They sort of had it in their pocket, but we just didn't know, obviously. And they're like, oh, empty out yeah. your pockets. Give us everything that you have. And now looking back, it's like, I can't laugh about it because I was so fucked. Because 
people say I'm overly polite because I always say thank you and please and all this stuff. It was just the way I brought up myself because my parents didn't really have a handling and me being brought up. But I always want to kill people with kindness, if that makes sense. So looking back now, it's like I I was robbed and I could have potentially got severely hurt. But at the time I had a wallet. So I handed over the wallet. They took out all the money and they gave back to wallet instead of like cowering or being smart. You know what I said to the guy when he gave back the wallet? Oh, thank you. So I was thanking the guy for fucking robbing me. <laughs> he walks away. He's like, what a polite person he just robbed. Right? I wish they were all that easy. No, no, there wasn't any. I'm going to tell you that. I, I, I could have said thank you and it didn't matter at all. You know what I mean? Oh, but it's true. But look, again, same thing. After growing up, it was hard to like... Even going to the downtown core area, now it's Dundas Square, but back then it was just like the corner of Young and Dundas because of, yeah. you know, stuff happened. Even same, even to this day, like I never have my back towards a door because I'm scared someone's going to come up from behind me. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny what we care. Well, and again, at least you have a good supporting system. In the European and sort of like the Portuguese culture, you can't show like signs of weakness. So if I was to tell my parents I got robbed... They wouldn't console me. They would probably give even more shit as to say, why did you get robbed? You're the idiot. Yeah, you shouldn't have been there. I don't think I, I agree. I don't think I told my parents. I think my siblings knew. But I remember okay. also when somebody was staying at a hostel where I was and it happened around that hostel. Oh, they were okay. like, you should go to tell, you should go to the LAPD or some shit. And I remember sitting in there, you know, right. I don't even know what they looked like. But <laughs> right. I was sitting in there. I was like. To myself, I went, man, I ain't no snitch. I was mm. like, what? I'm not even in. I'm not. What? What? Do I, I. That's how I was. Just like I didn't even understand what that. I knew what that meant, but I was just like younger, and I'm like, man, I ain't telling. I ain't no snitch, and I got up and left. I didn't even talk to the police. So I was like, I ain't out here trying to tell. No, it's true. Snitches get stitches. You know how many times? Again, this goes back to my brothers and their whole involvement and stuff. And how many times I got like caught in so-called crossfire, not real crossfire, but whatever. And I'd get like sucker punched or I'd get taken down yeah. just because of mistaken. And it's like, I'm not, wh- wh- what are you going to go do? Like, what are you going to go tell? Like for what? And what's really going to get resolved? Like, yeah. so it's true. Like I grew up with snitches get stitches because you think it was a bad beating before you would see what would happen after if you said anything, right? Yeah. Okay, my friend, you said it. The acting that you love to do keeps you sane. Again, I've met you were on Mr. D from on CBC, one of my favorite Canadian produced TV shows of all time. I I have to be one of those ones. It's not that because I'm a snob. It's um not even high quality production. It's there's just something about Canadian television that just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. Not that it feels cheap. It's just I, I don't know. It's not my thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's just it's very it's Canadian. Thank you. Like that's the only way I could describe. It's sort of like describing the CFL to the NFL. CFL is great, but it's not the NFL. Like you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So when Mr. D came on, I, I actually did give it a shot because Jerry D is another one of my favorite Canadian comedians out there. And oh my god, this show! I watched it from start to finish. I even had Mark Little on as a guest too, and we talked about the show as well. But what I want to touch on too, because you had a, a sort of reoccurring role as, as that coach. That one scene, I don't know if you remember, when Jerry was going off on the students and trying to prep them up and you were just standing there. Like, how many takes did that take? Because if I was one of those kids, I would not stop laughing, man. I mean, it was, I don't know how many takes I can remember, but I mean, I don't know if they were laughing. I was dying. (laughs) You could see me in the final cut look away because I was laughing because he was just making, he makes me laugh so much in scenes that, um... (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't hold myself. He was just so funny. The whole thing where he goes, you, you, and then, right? yeah, was, I think you, you could see me cover my mouth because I was laughing. Oh my God. And you see, this, this is another thing about, that I love about comedians, the uniqueness. Like there's no one else, like sort of like Jerry D. Like he's so, you don't know if he's being angry, if he's being funny, but you know, he's being funny, obviously, because he's a comedian, but just like his demeanor is so different from any other comic that you see out there. Yeah. And Jerry, again, is like one of the funniest human beings I've met. Like stand up and acting wise, he's so funny in scenes. Like it's like so, I'm such a fan of, of his of, of his work, and and I had such a such a great time working on that on his show. And and he again, I have to thank him. He that was my first time doing a sitcom. Oh, okay. And he put me on. He put me on camera the first time to do a sitcom. So I, I owe him a lot. 
Oh, that's awesome. So I guess obviously once you got your feet wet, you're like, oh, I guess I could do this and I love doing it. What other like big projects? Obviously, you're on Rami now and that's probably your biggest one to date. And I just love the whole cast too. It sucks that in Canada, it's behind sort of like a paywall. So not everyone could check it out. But if anyone can, please check it out. Like I said, great cast. An- another person I love and his show even on Netflix, Mo. Like, yeah. And Maharshala, like, oh my God, like this cast is like unbelievable. Yeah. It's very, very, uh, such a blessing to work with because, you know, my acting just got better over the last four years mm. because of the people that I, that I work with and the people that like, I'm, I'm, I'm geek to be around that make me laugh that, you know, like again, Marshall Lee is one of the greatest actors there, there is. Um, so just being able to just do a scene or two, it was just such a great, great, I'm super mad. I'm never going to forget it my whole life. So. No, of course. So what has been, not to put you on the spot, but what's been one of, not to even say favorite or best, but most memorable characters you've played over the years? I, w- I mean, the Rami character was like, has opened up so many doors for me. You know mm. what I mean? And that show has opened up so many doors. That that show has helped me. You know, I, I did a, a movie last year, like co-starred with Daisy Ridley that was at Sundance last weekend that premiered at Sundance so um call it sometimes I think about dying and um that yeah put me in I never thought I would be in a movie like I mean I mean I wanted to but I mean now I'm in a movie co-starring with one of the uh best actors uh uh, you know you know to, to working today and then to get into Sundance which is one of the best film festivals it took a while you know, and I was at the premiere where you're watching yourself on the screen in front of all these people on right. opening night. It's fucking crazy. It's like, I, and so, and I also love doing that character because I get to work with Rami and Mo and Steve. Like most of my scenes were with them and just the comedic timing and the funness of, of, of it. Like just being able to riff with them and, and be, it's like, it feels so natural because we are like that off camera. And then also oh. on that show, I get to be, to do, to do a little, a little more drama to 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 really work that muscle so I, I would say that character for sure no that's cool to hear and okay are, are you one of these guys that want to have like a starring role because i brought this up with keith pedro and he was like honestly he'd be like if i could get a role like i don't know if you're familiar with like the act I, we always forget his name and we even did this on the episode uh phoebe's brother on friends that actor actually he's an avatar now one of the biggest movies to have like those side roles in like in almost every project or would you want to be like a, a leading role type of guy I mean, depend. Of course, of course. I think, I've, yeah, hundred percent. Me per se, I'm like, of course, uh, I would love that. What the, yeah. be, uh, the leading role, or, <laughs> or like the side leading role? Oh, okay, I mean, okay. Both, but I mean, I'm not gonna. If I, yeah, I got in this to go to the top. Do you know what I mean? That's that's why I got into this. Not got only no, that. I reason, get it. But I mean, I, you know, I want to do leading roles and side roles. So, what's your ultimate leading role then? Do you want to be like a superhero in a Marvel movie? Do you want to have like your own sitcom based on your family? Like, what's the key? If you, again, I mean, if someone could rub a genie. All of, that, all of that, but I do like you know, like you know, like actors like Leo and and Denzel. Like oh, that's shit. that's the inspiration for me. Also, oh, you want to do more like even go into like the drama realm. You don't want to just stay okay. comedy. Yeah, I mean, the movie we did last year is a drama. It's there not a go. comedy. It's just comedy elements in it, but it's a drama. Ah, I see. Well, that's fantastic, my friend. I wish all the best for you. And now quickly, before we plug all your stuff and I'll let you go, my friend, you're also featured in GFL. You performed, you've judged, you've done it all from start to bottom. Now, what's been some of your favorite GFL moments over the years? It doesn't have to include you, even if it's someone else. Um. Oh, we were just talking about it, too. We were Me and, my, me, me and another comic from, from Toronto, Jared Campbell, like super, super funny. We were, he was, it was his first Just for Laughs like oh. a few years ago. Okay. And um, we were, he went to get ice. We were in the hotel. Okay. And, to, for, and then he gets, he's like locking him, he locked himself out in the, in the hall, in the um, stairwell. Mm. So he's texting me to come get him. He was clowning me beforehand <laughs> about me being stupid or some shit. Okay. And I was like laughing. I was like, oh, who's stupid now, bro? You, you know, lock. So I, we go down, I open the door for him. We're like laughing. We're, we're like kids and we get, to the down we're walking the hallway and we get to the main area where the elevator is and tom green is at the elevator oh shit and he turns his head and he goes you having fun there boys <laughs> <laughs> and we were like oh shit it's tom green and you know we just the whole weekend 
it was that whole week at that festival, we kept laughing to each other, even when we saw him. We're like, remember when Tom said that to us? Um, so that was one of my favorite. I just, yeah, we were just actually talking about it too. Oh my God, that's awesome to hear. Now, you've done, yeah, like I said, you've been on both ends. You've performed as a new face. You also judge new faces. How was the transition from going from a rookie to literally being a main stable in the comedy scene? I mean, again, it's like, you know, the people there, you know, Bruce, um, Zoe, when she was there, mm. and Nick, um, you know, have, have really um, put me in that position. To, they, they've shown me love for the last decade, and and, uh, and that festival means a lot to us. I mean, specifically to me, I grew up watching it. Right. So, I mean, now when I look back, I'm like, yeah, I do both. Both are great. I remember being young. I remember being new and nervous and how, how that feeling was so great. You're like, oh. I'm here. And then I still have that feeling, but it's just like a different kind of energy. But it's still the same. And the same energy is that I'm um, I'm always grateful that they uh, asked me to come back. Oh, I don't want to, awesome. you know. I mean, I'd rather be asked to come back than not thought of at all. So it's like, um, and I, yeah, if I can lend a hand or or give anyone, not that they want, they need sure. advice, or it's like if I could show, if I could give you, share my experience with you coming in, and you know, and make it hopefully help you have a pleasant experience. Um, then yeah, it's like I'm I'm there for it. You know what? That's what I okay. Everyone always rags on today's generation and the millennials, the millennials, the laziness, whatever. But the one thing that I do give them props all the time is for getting away from like gatekeepers and having people hold like like entertainment things hostage and not sharing and not helping each other. Like even in a comedy world, like this is huge. I'm sure. I don't know if you're one of these guys, but you don't laugh at other comedians' jokes. You're like, haha, yeah, that's funny. But you don't show like that laughter as if you're sitting in the audience. Like, but nowadays it's like everything's like totally different, and I applaud the younger generation for be- allowing yeah. people to share and be themselves. Right? Sorry, I mean back when I started too, I still laughed. I gave it up to you. I gave it. Okay, it was really, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't like, but I knew people that wouldn't. Right. My boy Bobby Mayer back. Then, Bobby's a really, really funny comedian. He lives okay. in England now, and he's doing really, really well. He'd always be like, I think he goes, I think you're fake laughing. I go, No, <laughs> man, Bobby, I'm not fake laughing. He goes, Yeah, you are, and um. Back then, maybe I was sometimes, but okay. there was there was a genuine. You know, I do enjoy if it's if your if your shit's dope, I will enjoy it. I'm not one of those people that's gonna hold my laugh. I love well, it. Okay, good. I'm out, my laugh actually is like loud and obnoxious sometimes. Like I will laugh. So. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Dave, thank you very much for coming aboard today, thank my you. friend. Really appreciate it. You could plug anything you want to promote. Um, I would one. You know. Uh, go to my Instagram, follow me there. But you know, my specials are all on you know streaming services. Um, the new one that came out, Miseducation of a Fuckboy, that's on you know like Apple and, and streaming services. That way, the audio, the videos on YouTube. Um, you can go to my IG. It's a, the link is in the bio. You can watch Good Friend Bad Grammar on um, um, by going to my website DaveMurhej.com. You can watch Rami all the seasons. If you're in Canada, it's on Stars. And if you're in the U.S., it's uh, Hulu. Make sure to watch that. And um, I Love You, Habibi is a comedy special that's on Crave in Canada. uh, Watch that. And uh, look out, you know, for a movie I did uh, called Sometimes I Think About Dying. Um, But, yeah, also just get to listen to the EP, Miseducation of a Fuckboy. Um, We did something with it, not just stand-up. We have, like, uh, we have skits. Not skits, but we have, like, a phone. Like, it's done, like... I influence from like like rap and, and hip hop, mm. so check it out and, and support live comedy as well. So any support, specifically Canadian comedy in this country, you know, go on fucking yeah. Sirius XM. I think JFL has a channel. Support Just for Laughs and support all Canadian comics doing their thing, whether it's through video on Crave um, or through audio on yeah on streaming services. No, awesome. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Oh, shit, I forgot one last go, one. Go for look, it. Of uh, course. Uh, Low Key Immigrants Podcast with Paul. Um, that is on streaming services as well. Like, yeah, the, the, the audio on podcasting. So Awesome. And then you could also email us. Your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcastdap at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them, it most definitely helps me out. And most importantly, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot with my last question before I let you go, my friend. I got to know, why are you so into dry humping? Like, I just don't get it. Wouldn't you rather do anything else that's actually involves skin? 
Are you asking that, or somebody told you to ask? Me no, that? no, no. I'm actually asking oh, that from uh, hearing from hearing your your act. You bring this up a lot, I mean, so <laughs> it started off as a joke. Oh, okay. joke. It started off as a thing. I did it, and I was like, "This is great," and it was like paranoia. I didn't have to like get a condom. I didn't have to like, you know, the fear of like a disease or having a kid or something like that. And then yeah. I would just like it. I just liked it. I know I was older, <laughs> and it just became a thing where. So the girl would do it with me. Like, no one was shutting it down. That's true, So too. I didn't think it was like, yeah, they weren't like, you know, I was having sex, too. Like, it wasn't just, sure, I was just trying my yeah, way yeah. through um, life. But, yeah, they, they dug it. I dug it. And I, I think it's a lost art form. I still think it's a lost Because the tension is beautiful uh-huh. when you think about it. Because you're just like, you're, you're tensing it all up. And you're getting to a point. There's something in that that I find is great as opposed to like sex you go through the act acts done this is like this building with the like this passion and stuff like that so there's a lot of reasons but yeah i I do still support it though and i and i have no shame in it at all awesome on that note he's dave i'm steve this is the podcast peace